Good morning, loved ones. Loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with a perfect love that is unblemished and undefiled. And one day we will, I'm trying to figure this thing out here. I broke it earlier, so I might not have put it back in right. An Italian trying to fix stuff is never good. (laughs) So one day we will experience that love one day. Um, So thanks for coming. We have Communion Sunday today. And uh, as I looked at my passage in 1 Timothy, it just was not a communion message. So I'm deviating from 1 Timothy today, and we're just going to finish up a communion message that I started a a few weeks back, or a few months back probably, uh, in the Gospel of John. So please, if you would, in your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is such an incredible gospel as it speaks so highly of the deity of of Jesus and uh, who he is, what he came to do, what he did, and what he continues to do for us. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, we thank you that we can gather together here, Father, as your children, your family. We can come into your presence and call you Abba with the intimacy of the word daddy. Father, thank you that you have done all the work, Father, for us. That Christ has came, that he has taken our sin upon the cross, that he has sacrificed himself for our our sin, that our debt would be paid. Father, we thank you and we glorify you that we can come and we can remember such a sacrifice. But yet, Lord, may we remember who he is and who he remains to be for us. So today, Father, I just ask that your spirit would come and that he would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, that he would bring joy where joy is needed, grace where grace is needed, comfort where comfort is needed. Father, you know each and each and every individual in this room, and you know exactly what they need today. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would speak to their hearts today as we look at what a great Savior we truly have. Lord, may we leave here today being enamored with who Christ is and with a heart that is full of zeal for your gospel that we may go and proclaim such a gospel to a lost world. In your name, we ask these things. Amen. How do you and myself, how do we identify? And that is a massive question nowadays because there's mass confusion over how we identify. So maybe we look at it simply in the areas of maybe you identify by your profession. You know, I'm a barber. So when I introduce myself to somebody, I say, hi, I'm Mark, and what I do is I'm a barber. So I identify as a barber. Oftentimes, I want to say a follicle engineer to kind of throw everybody off. So, or, or maybe we identify by our hobbies. 
You know, we, we identify by whether we, we golf or we fish or we take pictures or we play music. Maybe we identify in that way. That's how I find my identity. Or maybe we identify by our nationalities or by our faith. Our faith, we, we find our identity within our faith as we as Christians should. We should find that identity in Christ. That's who we are because we are in Christ. One thing is for certain is that we find that Jesus never had an identity crisis. Jesus knew exactly who he was, exactly who he is, and exactly the throne he sits on. We do not have an identity crisis with our Savior. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us seven identities of who he is that we look at, but he uses the term, I am. Now, in the Old Testament, that's how God referred to himself in Exodus to Moses, when Moses says, who shall I tell the children of Israel send to me? He says, you tell them, I am. So this is Yahweh in the flesh, Jehovah in the flesh. This is Jesus, the God-man, the creator in the flesh, and he identifies himself as I am which is staggering for the Jews because most of the time when we read these, the next thing they wanted to do was pick up stones and throw them at them and stone them. So we've looked at four of them already. We've looked at these four. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. And I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus has already showed us these four. The good shepherd is one that I really love because what that means is I'm not the good shepherd. Only he is the good shepherd. And so as an under-shepherd, my job is to be sure that I get you to the good shepherd because I am not the good shepherd. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He has three more in the Gospel of John that he identifies as. Here's the, here's the fifth one, or one if you're taking notes for the sermon. Jesus says, he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is on the story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus has died. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus actually stays a day longer before he heads to Lazarus so that he makes sure that in the Jew's mind that Lazarus is good and dead. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for a while. He gets there. He's talking to Mary and Martha. And this is what he tells them, that I am the resurrection and the life. What Jesus is saying is that he has resurrecting power. He is the one who brings us up and out of the grave. And we see this, right? Jesus raised the dead. He raised Lazarus. But also, we see in Matthew 9, 18, he raises this little girl. He says, when he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in, knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. 
So Jesus goes, and during this whole time that Jesus is headed to this little girl, as we're, we're breaking this up, the woman who had a, a bleeding problem for her life touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed. This is godly power to heal that. But when he gets there, this is what he says in Matthew nine twenty three through 26. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They knew she was dead. She wasn't breathing. But when the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district, that Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. We see that Jesus prophesies his own resurrection in Luke 9.22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Again, we see it in John 2, verses 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. This is what he meant. Not the big temple. He meant this temple. Destroy this temple. Kill this temple, and in three days I I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and when they believed the scriptures and the word Jesus had spoken. So he predicts his own resurrection. In the last days, when all are dead, when we are all dead and in the ground, in those last days, guess what happens? Jesus comes on the last days, and he raises us up. He raises us up. John six thirty nine and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus, on the last day, will raise all of us up out of the grave. He has resurrecting power. He has resurrecting power. But not only that, but we see it's the whole working of the triune God in this resurrecting work. In John 5, 21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. In Romans eight eleven, it says about the Spirit, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And in 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We see that the whole resurrecting power is within the whole Godhead. It's the whole triune God that is involved in this. Who raised Jesus out of the grave? Jesus, yes. God the Father, yes. The Holy Spirit, yes. They have resurrecting power. And this is our hope, brothers and sisters, that one day Jesus will come and he will raise us up out of the grave to eternal life. He is the resurrection, and the life. Secondly, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
This is another of the great I am's. This is the sixth or the seventh one. This is in John 14. John 14, 6 puts it this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is very comforting to the disciples at this time. Because in John chapter 13, this begins the upper room discourse. Jesus says that there's going to be one that's going to betray him. And they're all a mess. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And he knows that it's Judas, right? But yet, we still see this gracious, loving picture that Jesus even washes as Judas's feet. Wow, the very one that's going to betray him, his enemy, he washes his feet. What an example we can learn from all of this. But he tells them, I'm going to be leaving you, and they're a mess. They're distraught. You know, the, their, their leader is leaving them. And so in John 14, chapter 1, he says, don't, be, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me and believe in God. And then the, the question gets asked to him, you know, where he's going. He goes, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That where you are, I may be also. You know, or that where I am, you may be also. I'm sorry. And so then we get this, and he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this was comforting to them. But this is also staggering because what Jesus is saying is that you and I cannot earn our way to heaven. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. It doesn't matter how self-righteous you think you are. You cannot merit your way to heaven. All of that is filthy rags in the sight of God. Isaiah 64, 6 puts it this way. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We will fade like a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind take us away. In God's eyes, our own righteousness, when we become self-righteous and we're doing things based upon our own works and our own righteousness, that's filthy rags. It's a polluted garment. But the work of Jesus is not. It is holy. It is blemished. It is unblemished. It is not a polluted garment. He is the way to God. Now this word way, it just simply means road or a route or a highway. Jesus is the way. He's not one way. We have to read that. When you look at your Bibles, Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say one way or a different way or I'm one road of many roads that leads to God. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the only road. Period. He's it. No other way. And we see this in Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both have access in one spirit, where? To the Father. That's through Jesus. And in Hebrews 10, he puts it this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. That is how we enter into the Holy of Holies. We enter in through Jesus, not by a mortal high priest, but by an eternal high priest who enters in with his blood, not the blood of bulls and goats and calves, like they did in the Old Testament, but with the eternal blood of the covenant, he enters in. And now we enter into the throne room of God the same exact way through Jesus. 
because he is the way. He is the way to God. He is the truth of God. If you want to know the truth about God, just read about Jesus. You get the truth about God. This word truth just means truth. It's one who speaks the truth, one who lives the truth. This was Jesus. This, this identified Jesus. If we had to look at one person and say, well, what did Jesus do? He was truth. He spoke the truth. He lived the truth. He was the truth. He is the truth about God. He is the one who shows us who God is. John 1, 14. And, on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace oh, and truth. John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in 1 John five twenty, the apostle writes this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son Jesus, he is the true God and eternal life. Which leads us to the next one. Jesus is what? The life. He is the zoe. He is the eternal life. He is the one who gives eternal life. He is the one who is full of life. This is who Jesus is. He's the one who gives it to us. He is his way, life. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, in John 10, we see as the good shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Wow, can we find comfort in that? Just that last verse, right? Just that last verse in 28. I give them eternal life. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will give you eternal life. The Christian never dies. We just go to sleep, but he gives us eternal life. And we never perish. And no one can snatch us out of his hands. And I, you know, I love how people sit there and say, oh, well, we can jump out of his hand. Well, why would you want to do something stupid? No, you can't jump out of his hand. He has you in his hands. He holds you tightly. No one can get you out of his hand. He is your shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He holds you in his bosom. Wow, what a precious, precious Savior we have. Acts 3.15, we see this. And you killed the author of, of life. In John 5:11, and this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Simply to put it, Acts 4:12. And there is no there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who gives life. This life we live right now, brothers and sisters, is perishing. It's going All of us have an end. It's closer for some of us than some others of us. But it's there. We all have to face it. But but when this life goes, now is when we start living. That's when you start living life. When this one ends, that's when life begins. That's when life eternal begins. That's the life that we look forward to. That's the hope we look forward to. Not the hopelessness of this world that we looked at in Sunday school. But Jesus is that hope. 
He is that life, he is that truth, and he is the only way. And finally, our last one. Jesus says in John 15, he's still in the upper room discourse, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. John 15, one. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. John 15, five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So we see that Jesus is the vine. This, in the Jewish culture, there was a lot of agriculture stuff, and if you read in the Old Testament, you see this. You see this picture of God being the one who owns the vineyard, and we, we see the vines, and we see branches. But he says this. So who is the vine dresser? Is the Father. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? You and I are the branches, right? We are the branches, everything and I and I you know when I was thinking about this I was thinking of my tree in my backyard and uh, my tree in my backyard's got these two big branches that are coming off and they're dead they're dead I got to cut them off but I'm afraid but they're dead there's no life in them but the but part of the tree there's life in it because it's getting what it needs to be fed brothers and sisters if we want to have that life we want to have that life. We have to abide in Christ. We have to abide in the vine. This is what we have to do. Abide. This is to continue in, to dwell in, to remain in. And this is what Jesus says. <clears throat> I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. This word abide, when he says abide in me, this is not a suggestion for us. In the Greek, this is a command. This is what we are commanded to do by Jesus. We are to dwell in him. We are to remain in him. No questions asked. This is what we are to do. We are to hold on to him tightly because that's how we bear fruit. And when we abide in Christ and we remain in Christ, we bear good fruit. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So he's making a distinction now. He's going to make a distinction that false prophets come and you're going to know them by their fruits right? These are people that do not abide in Christ. They do not remain in Christ. Christ is not their standard, but they are their standard. And God says, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now here it comes. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So what Jesus is doing, he's doing a comparison. The false prophets are going to have bad fruit because what? They're a bad tree. It's period. That's it. You know, if you have a bad tree in your yard, it's not bearing fruit because it's a bad tree, right? But when we have a good tree, it bears good fruit. And that's the distinction that we're making, that Jesus is making. And it's the same thing in John 15. Whoever abides in me will bear good fruit. How do we know that we are believers? Are you bearing fruit? That's simply put. 
Are you bearing fruit? Are you growing, brothers and sisters? Are you stagnant in your faith? Do you get nothing out of the word? Is the word just dry? And I know there's times that we have dry seasons where we read and we're just like, oh, this is dry, right? We have prayer life. We have prayer times where it's just dry. I get it. I get it. There's times when my life is that way where I sit down and I pray and my first thing is like, are you even listening? Or I read the word and it's like, oh, I've read that before. But then there's times when you're praying and you know you're in the presence, right? You know you're there. You know your, your words have pierced the throne room. And you know you're in the presence of God because you don't want to leave, right? And there's times when you're in the word and the word is just, man, it's just crushing your heart. It's killing it. You're like, yes, this is great. I love it. I'm soaking it up. It's making sense to me. It's making sense to me. This is, this is growing. This is fruit. We're going to have these seasons like this, up and down in roller coasters. But are we striving to follow Christ? Are we striving to stay attached to the vine? Because that's where we'll bear good fruit. That's where, we're build, where we bear good fruit. <coughs> the only way we bear fruit is to abide in Christ. Listen to John fifteen four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't give any room for, huh, I wonder what he's thinking about that. Does he? He's not confusing. He just sits there and says it how it is. You can't bear fruit unless I'm in your life. That's what he says. Abiding means pursuing. Or it means pruning. It means pruning. Listen to John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, then it may bear more fruit. He prunes. So if you prune a tree, what do you use to prune a tree? Trimmers. Yeah. And they got what on the edges? And, they're, and those edges are what? Sharp. And if you get your finger caught in there, it's going to, and it's going to hurt, Right? Sometimes God prunes us, right? And it's always not gentle. Sometimes that's the fruit we see in our life is his pruning. He's taking us through hard times. He's taking us through trials. He's bringing us into the woodshed. He's taking us into the dark shed. But in that dark shed, what he's doing is he's, he's uh, sharpening his tools to carve off the rough edges of us. He's pruning us. And it may hurt, but when we come out of that dark shed, we come out of that dark time, when we come out of that dark valley, guess what? We are better because we bear more fruit. This is the pruning that we go through. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be time when all of us go through that pruning. If we're chasing after Christ and we're abiding in Christ, you will be pruned. But please look at it that way as God's gracious pruning that you will bear more fruit. This is what's going to happen. Now, now as we come to the table and we see Jesus, that, that he is the way and he is the truth and, and he is the life, and we see him as this vine and we see him as, as the resurrection and the life, we have to remember as we approach the table that the bread of life 
is the one who gave his life so that we may have life. That the light of the world (coughs) has shone in the darkness of our hearts to give us light. That the good shepherd, he knows us and he calls us by name. (coughs) Excuse me. That the resurrection and the life is where our hope is. It is in Jesus. And Jesus who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, we hold on to that, to have comfort in our life. That when our way isn't always smooth, we know that we are on the right way. We are on that narrow road. And that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And we need to abide in him so that we will bear fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So, if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, this communion is not for you. Don't take it. Pass it along. It is not for you. But the gospel of grace is for you. Christ has come. He has died. He has taken your sin. And he has removed it as far as the east is from the west. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus. Trust in his work for you on the cross. Trust that he, was, he died for you, that he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he has ascended and he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for you. Trust in his perfect work for you. Quit trying to work your way to heaven with your own self-righteous deeds. Trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, this is for you. And this is a memorial that we get to come to as a family of believers and we get to celebrate and we get to remember what the Lord has done for us. A body given and blood that was spilt so that we may have life and our sins may be forgiven. We should take this every Sunday to have that reminder because sometimes we lose that. But before you take it, Be sure your heart is right before God. Because Paul does tell us in Corinthians that we can take it in an unworthy manner. And if you take it in an unworthy manner, you eat and you drink condemnation to yourself. Be sure. Take a few minutes. Repent of your sin. Be sure your heart is right before God. So now, will the elders please come forward? As we pass out, the bread and the cup. Take some time. Repent of that sin.